today's readings from uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, from chapter 1, verse 5 to chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. All again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has sent you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of the joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. You will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same. And your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirit sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received this just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also tes testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Thanks, Beatrice. I remember um, being a youth group leader and crying with my co-leader one time when we got a message from one of the boys uh, in our Bible study group telling us that he didn't think he was a Christian anymore. And we'd kind of seen this coming and had been desperately praying for this guy. We'd seen across a couple of years, not, not like any particular intellectual objections to, to Christian faith, but this general kind of gradual slide away from engagement with God as he as he got more into his music, uh, as he started hanging out with other friends more than with his church friends, as he started sleeping with his girlfriend, just kind of one step at a time, uh, he ended up drifting away uh, to the point that he decided he couldn't call himself a Christian anymore. And about five years later, uh, that co-leader had gone the same way. It's, it's one of the, the everyday tragedies of life, I think, that people turn away from Jesus, and especially that young people turn away from Jesus. Some recent Australian stats suggest uh, a dropout rate of 72% uh, 
uh, of young people from churches in Australia, which, which has been a pretty consistent number for about five decades. Over the last decade, it's actually improved a little bit. And that, that's higher than the dropout rate in maybe comparable countries like the UK or the USA. And Australian church dropouts are less likely to return to church later than church dropouts in the UK or the USA. It's not, it's not all bad news, right, in those statistics. Some young church dropouts do return later in life. Some people do return to faith in Jesus. And many other people meet Jesus having not grown up and knowing the gospel. There's lots of evidence, too, that churches with strong Bible teaching and strong community are much more likely to equip people with a kind of faith that, that endures, that keeps them from drifting away. And it's good news, too, on, on a global scale. If you're, if you're Chinese or from one of many places around the world where the church is growing fast among young people, uh, it's a very different story. But even in those places and here, too, it's... It's a tragedy every time someone walks away from faith in Jesus, and we see it all too often. The, the deepest heartaches that I carry in my life are people I love who have drifted away from Jesus. Maybe you can think of the people in your life. Or maybe deep down, you can see your life going that way. Maybe deep down, you know that actually you're drifting away from Jesus, one decision, one day at a time. Because at UniChurch, we're in the, the kind of statistical window for this, right? At the, the young adult years, those years of, of kind of late high school, uni, early working life, is when people are most likely to come to faith in Jesus, but also when people are most likely to give up on Jesus. It's a time where we see God do wonderful things and where we see deeply sad things. And if you, and, and I, my guess is there's some people here tonight, if you've just moved here away from your parents, away from the church you grew up in, away from youth group, Christian friends, the kind of support structures that have, that have driven and grown your Christian life, you're especially vulnerable to this. As you move to Melbourne, as you start uni or start a new job, there are going to be strong currents pulling you away from Jesus. Loud voices calling to you, trying to drown out the voice of Jesus. But if you want to stay true to your faith in this new season, if you want to endure as a thriving and resilient disciple of Jesus, what do you need to do? What do we need to do to not be in that statistic of church dropouts? Well, According to our passage tonight, according to Hebrews, you need to hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the gospel. Our passage has got like a, a kind of a key verse, a, a bit of a summary of what's going on in the passage. Uh, maybe you kind of felt it as we read through. It's chapter 2, verse 1. It says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Right, if, you're, if you're the kind of note taker on the new sheet kind of person, this is the verse to circle. This is the heart of the passage. It makes a great summary of our passage tonight. And to be honest, it makes a pretty great summary of the whole book of Hebrews, the whole purpose of the person who wrote this letter. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, 
to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Or in, in simpler language, hold fast to the gospel so that we don't drift away. Now this, this is God's powerful word for us, right? But it wasn't initially to us. Someone wrote this uh, centuries and centuries ago in the early decades of the Christian church. It was written to this early group of Christians by an anonymous author. We don't know who wrote it. But why do they need to hear this message? Why is this person writing this thing to this community? Hold fast to the gospel so that you don't drift away. Well, it seems like some of them were losing their grip on the gospel. Some of them were starting to drift, starting to drift with the current of the world away from Jesus. And their world was very different to ours, but it's the same, it's the same heart experience, it's the same root challenge that they're facing. Their world was highly religious. Ours is pretty non-religious, at least here in Melbourne. And so as we're going to see in many ways throughout Hebrews tonight and over the coming weeks, the things that are kind of threatening to loosen their grip on Jesus, on the gospel, are returning to the Jewish beliefs and practices that they grew up in, right? They're not being drawn away to, to irreligion, but to a different religion, to Christian faith. They've got these two voices in their ears, two voices calling out to them, the voice of Jesus and the voice of the Jewish religion that they grew up in. What are the voices calling out to you, trying to drown out the voice of Jesus? As they're getting distracted by their old life back in the Jewish faith that they once knew, it seems like, for some reason, some of these early believers are getting preoccupied with angels. Maybe you noticed that word there as we read through the passage. In a minute, we'll think a bit more about angels in Jewish faith and in Christian faith. But, but for now, we can see that the author's really determined to turn people's eyes away from, from focusing on, on angels to focus on Jesus. He mentions angels six times in this section of the letter. And he spends most of our passage comparing angels to Jesus. That's what that kind of string of Old Testament references is doing. It's actually in, in verse 4, just before our passage, uh, that he kind of introduces this. So if, if you've got your actual Bible rather than new sheet open, you can see that in, in chapter 1, verse 4. It says, So he, that's Jesus, became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And then he goes on into our section tonight. He is desperate for Christians to listen to the voice of Jesus and not be distracted by other voices. Because we all choose who we listen to, right? Have a look at this picture. This guy is uh, Hiru Onoda. He was the second last Japanese soldier to surrender uh, at the end of World War II. And World War II ended in 1945. He surrendered in 1974. Hiru spent nearly 30 years on a tiny island in the Philippines refusing to surrender the end of the war. He fought off locals who tried to tell him the war was over. He fought off local police. 
Uh, he refused to believe airdrops from his family and friends onto the island with pictures of themselves and, and letters saying that the war was finished. He wouldn't listen to any of those voices. Until, in 1974, his, his wartime commander, whose name was Major Yoshimi Taniguchi, who's now an old man and a bookseller, came to the island, walked through the forest, found Hiru, and ordered him to surrender. And Hiru put down his gun and surrendered and went home. He chose who to listen to. And we all do that. We all choose who we listen to, right? We know it's important to choose who we listen to. Even at kind of a, a societal level, we know this is important. Right, this year uh, in Australia, we're going to be debating and deciding on an Indigenous voice to Parliament. And however that debate and decision goes, we're having that conversation because we recognise as a nation that it's important who we listen to in our, in our policy making, in our government activities. We're all trying to figure out what we're supposed to do with chat GPT and AI bots, right, at uni and in all different spheres of life, because we know it's important who we listen to, how we let this AI influence our lives and what we hear. We have to weigh up the voices of our parents, our friends, our lecturers, uh, people all around us, people we know, people in the media, people that shape the narrative of the world we live in. We all choose who we listen to. Some voices are great. Some voices are dangerous. Many voices are trying to get us to listen. What are the voices calling out to you? Calling for your attention, calling you to listen. Maybe it's your new friends at college inviting you into the party lifestyle of college that's so alluring, that's so appealing, that's so hard to say no to, and so destructive to faith. Maybe it's the voice of your parents, urging you to focus totally on your studies, urging you to focus on that, that goal of the good grades, the good job, the spouse, the house, the kids. Maybe it's the voices of the, the faith that you grew up in, like it is for these first recipients of the letter, calling you away from Jesus back to that life and faith that you once knew. Whatever the voices are that are calling to you, and whatever it is that they're calling to you, whether that's good or bad or neutral, never let them drown out the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus calls you to life to the full. He calls you to lay down your life, take up your cross, and follow him. He calls you to find rest in him. He calls you to eternal life. The voice of Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Listen to his voice. Remember, these believers... They're getting distracted by angels, right? So, and so the bulk of our passage is the author proving how Jesus is better than angels. He's kind of presenting this evidence. And he does that because he wants us to listen to Jesus first, ahead of angels, right? The logic is, if Jesus is better than angels, then the message of Jesus is better than the message of angels. So, listen to Jesus more than you listen to angels. 
Can you see the kind of flow of logic there? It's in uh, chapter 2, verse 2. Have a look at it in front of you. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Can you see the logic there? If the message from angels was binding and Jesus is better than angels, then how much more binding is his message? In the Old Testament, in the, the worldview that these people grew up in, angels, uh, along with prophets, were, were messengers of God. That, that was their kind of place in the world, messengers of God. Angels spoke to people on behalf of God. You can think of maybe the, the three angels visiting Abraham in Genesis to tell him that he and Sarah would have a son, or the angel that appeared to Jacob in a dream telling him to return to his homeland. Angels throughout the Old Testament speak to individuals and they, they rebuke the nation of Israel and they carry out God's plans for the world. They're God's messengers. And we're going to see that if it's important to listen to angels, God's messengers, it's even more important to listen to Jesus, the Word made flesh, God's final Word. And now, as we do that, we're going we're to kind of dig into the text for a few minutes here, okay? So for the next few minutes, uh, it's going to be a bit more kind of technical. We're going to dig in a little bit, and it might be a little bit dense, but I think it's really important that we try and understand what's going on, uh, that we kind of push our way through the dense growth here so that we can see the view behind it, because the view is, is spectacular. So, so come with me for a few minutes as we kind of dig in to these, these verses. We're looking especially at verses uh, 5 to 14. And what the author's doing is he's pulling a whole sequence of passages from the Old Testament, different places around the Old Testament, which are the scriptures that these, these ethnically Jewish Christians had known for their whole lives. And he's demonstrating with these passages how Jesus is superior to angels. So let's read uh, verses 5 to 9 again. See if you can see this as we go along, how he's comparing Jesus and angels to each other. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he'll be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Can you see, can you see that comparison there of Jesus and angels? Let me try and kind of capture what he's saying about who is Jesus. So, Jesus, he says, is the Son of God, verse 5. He's the firstborn of God, verse 6. He's the one to be worshipped and served, verses 6 to 9. He's God himself enthroned, verses 8 and 9. And he's the creator, verses 10 to 12. Who were the angels then from these verses? Well, they are worshippers of Jesus, verse 6. They're created beings, verse 7. They're spirits, verse 7. They're servants and flames of fire, verse 7. 
they're ministering spirits sent to serve humans, verse 14, and they're, they're messengers of a binding message in chapter 2, verse 2. So the, the rhetorical device here, what he's doing is he's presenting three kind of paired attributes of Jesus and of angels, and each pair of attributes, attributes shows how Jesus is superior. So I've got a, a kind of chart of it here. So the, the first pair of attributes that he uses to compare Jesus and angels, you can see there, is, is identifying Jesus as the Son of God and angels as, well, not the Son of God. It's kind of an impl implication there that Jesus is superior to them because of his closer relationship with God the Father. He's the Son, the angels are not. Then he talks about Jesus as the one to be worshipped and served, and the angels are those who worship and serve, right? So, so they worship Jesus. That, that shows his superiority over them. And third paired attribute there is Jesus as the eternal creator and angels as created beings. So he's superior to them because he made them, because he's eternal and they were made. And all that kind of builds up to chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, like we said, as the kind of the center or, or the kind of logical climax of this passage. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? If the message spoken through angels was binding, how much more binding is the message spoken by the Son? If people were, were rightly punished for ignoring the message that came from angels, how much more will the consequence be if we ignore the message from the Son? Hopefully, that's making sense, uh, but if not, here's, here's a meme of the logic to try and help us get this. Okay, so angels are servants, Jesus is the son. Angels worship, Jesus is worshipped. Angels are created, Jesus is the creator. Can you see how he's kind of building, how he's going from one thing that's good to something else that's better? That's what he's doing as he kind of builds through these paired attributes here. Jesus is better than angels so the message spoken by Jesus is better than the message spoken by angels. So we must listen to the voice of Jesus so that we don't drift away. Now, a couple of really important notes. First, we want to be careful as, as we compare the message of Jesus and the message of angels, not to do so in such a way to present them as inconsistent or competing or opposing voices. This isn't that, that one is good and one is bad. Not at all, right? One points to the other. The message of angels is, is God's word in the Old Testament, which points to Jesus, which is fulfilled in Jesus. It's a promise and fulfillment. Remember Hiru, that, that Japanese soldier. What well, he wrote uh, in his autobiography later in life that in 1944, during World War II, when he was posted on that island, Major Taniguchi promised him, whatever happens, we will come back for you. 
And so when he fulfilled that promise, when he came back 30 years later, he listened because he trusted that that promise was finally being kept. That's, that's the message of Jesus and the message of angels, a promise and its fulfillment. So by comparing angels and Jesus here, right, the author of Hebrews isn't trying to put angels down, but trying to raise Jesus up. That's the first kind of note. And the second one is, uh, as we talk about angels, you might be wondering about the concept of angels, right, which should be fair enough, because we don't really have angels in the forefront of our, our worldview, I guess, in, in Melbourne, at least for a lot of us. Though many around the world uh, certainly do. Now, I, I don't want to get kind of sidelined from our, our main purpose here by talking for ages about angels, but he, here are like a, a couple of truths from the Bible about angels, just to help us understand a bit of who it is that the passage is talking about. So first, angels are, are real. They're, they're not um, something, a kind of creation of, of fiction or just something out of history, but they're, they're part of God's revealed word of how he's made the universe. Angels are real. They're created, right? They're made by God. They're not eternal. They're not God. They're made by him. They're created to worship and to serve God. They're, they're servants, as the passage calls them, flames of fire, spirits. They exist to serve God and also to serve us. Uh, that's in the passage too, and in verse uh, 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's us. Not only do they serve God, but they serve us too. And Jesus is better than angels. He is superior to angels. So the message spoken through Jesus is superior to the message spoken through angels. So we must listen to the voice of Jesus so that we don't drift away. Maybe you're unsure, though, about what the message of Jesus actually is. Right, I, I can stand up here and say, listen to the message of Jesus or listen to the voice of Jesus, but maybe you're thinking, I, I'm not, I don't know what that is. What, what does the voice of Jesus sound like? What is the message of Jesus? Well, chapter 2, verse 3 calls it a message of salvation. And that's exactly what, what it is. The message of Jesus is what Christians call the good news, the gospel, the message of salvation. Here's what the voice of Jesus says to you. The voice of Jesus says, you were made with a deep and wonderful purpose. He says, I made you in overflowing love. I made you to know me and love me and live in perfect peace with me. You turned away from me. You rejected me to live your own way. And your way can never be what you hope it will be. Your way, life without me, is a life of chasing the wind, of searching for something that can't be found. It's a life that hurts yourself and others, and it takes you far away from home. But, the voice of Jesus says, I can't stop loving you. I will never give up on you. 
there is nothing I wouldn't do to bring you home. I didn't wait for you to come back to me. I came to you. I came to be with you, to be like you, to be one of you, to be born as a baby, to live the perfect human life that you couldn't live, to die on a cross, to take the punishment that was owed to you for rejecting God and going your own way. I paid your debt. I opened the way back to God. I rose from the dead to lead you there. I sent my spirit to live in your heart, to transform you. I am going to give you life to the full, the life that you were made to live. And I am coming back soon to take you home and make all things right forever. Will you listen to the voice of Jesus? Will you listen to what he says? When he calls, will you answer? When we listen to the voice of Jesus, it's amazing because we're getting God straight from the source. We hear directly from God in the person and the words and the work of Jesus. It's not, not filtered, not mediated through prophets or angels, religious teachers or gurus or traditions or whatever. The voice of Jesus is God himself speaking to you straight from the source. I grew up uh, learning to play piano and the piece that I loved most to play on the piano was a piece called Jessica's Theme. Maybe there's any pianists out there, you've, you might have come across it. It's from an old movie called The Man from Snowy River. It's a really beautiful piece. Uh, and I love playing that piece so much so that it, it was the piece that Ronnie, my wife, walked down the aisle to uh, at our wedding. And we had uh, the pianist for the wedding. We knew we wanted this song, but we had this problem where there's a lot of different versions of the sheet music to this piece out there in the world. And we weren't sure how to know which, which one should we choose for her to walk down the aisle to. But uh, my, my grandfather actually is friends with a guy called Bruce Rowland who wrote the piece of music. And so we asked my grandfather uh, to, to ask Bruce Rowland, could you tell us which version we should have Ronnie walk down to, which is, which is the original version? We're expecting him to tell us, oh, this is the website, or da-da-da-da, whatever. But he photocopied his handwritten manuscript of the piece of music that he wrote himself and gave it to us to have played at the wedding as Ronnie walked down the aisle. And, and we could know that that was the, the original, the, the true piece of music, because we got it straight from the source. There was nothing in the way of, of knowing that that was the true music that we wanted. And when we listen to Jesus, when we read the words of Jesus in the Bible, when we see what Jesus has done, what he calls us to, that's what we get. We get the voice of God straight from the source. Nothing in the way. God speaking to you. The voice of Jesus is the voice of God, straight from the source. And we can trust what he says. So this year, will you listen to the voice of Jesus?
will you hold fast to the gospel? Will you, in in the language of our passage, pay the most careful attention to what we have heard? Because if there are lots of voices in life kind of clamoring for our attention, trying to get us to listen to them, I don't think there's ever a time where there are more voices than when we're at uni. Right, some of us here are just starting uni. Some of us are a bit of the way into our uni life. Some of us are working. Some of us have just moved away from parents and support structures for the first time. There will be loud voices in your ear this year calling you away from Jesus. So what can we do? What do we do with those voices? Well, each of us individually and all of us together We've got, to, we've got to actually listen to the voice of Jesus, right? We've, we've got to be reminded of the gospel. We need to, to hear the words of the gospel again and again and again. That's what holding fast to the gospel looks like, actually listening. Right? And that's why our Christian community is so important. That's why church matters so much. That's, that's why as you start uni this year or you continue or you're working or whatever, Being deeply connected to your Christian community is so crucial. Each time we come here to church, each time we meet together in our small groups, we we catch up with Christian friends, meet with a mentor, we're hearing the gospel anew. We're hearing the voice of Jesus, balancing out all the other voices that call to us all week long. It's why developing your own rhythm of of one-on-one time with God, hearing him speak through his word, engaging with him in prayer, that's why that's so important too. When we read the Bible, God speaks to us. We hear his voice and we hold fast to the gospel. Right, this is not like groundbreaking stuff, right? Go to church and go to small group and read your Bible and pray. Yeah, great, awesome. But, But this is why those things matter so much. They're not just things for the sake of things. They're they're the way, individually and together, that we keep listening to the voice of Jesus, that we stay fixed on him instead of being lured away by the voices around us in the world. In, uh, In ancient Greek mythology, there's this story called Jason and the Argonauts. Jason's a hero and the Argonauts are his his kind of band of sailors, soldiers. And they're sailing across the world and they've got to sail past the sirens. And the sirens are these um, beautiful, seductive, deadly creatures that are half woman, half bird. And they sit on the rocks and, and call out this beautiful song to sailors and make them crash into the rocks and eat their bodies. And Jason knows that he and his Argonauts need to sail past the sirens. But what are they going to do? What are they going to do as they hear that voice calling them to be dashed on the rocks? Well, they they take with them Orpheus, the most skilled of all musicians, who plays beautiful music on the lyre as they sail past the sirens and drowns out the sound of their voices. The only way for them to get past those deadly voices is to listen to a better sound, a better music, a better voice. And it's the same for us, that the only way that we'll be able to sail past the voices of this world, that we will be able to stay fixed on Jesus, 
is to listen to his better voice, to listen to him first, to listen to him above all others. If you don't pay most careful attention to what you have heard, if you don't hold fast to the gospel this year, then what will happen? Well, you will risk, chapter 2, verse 1, drifting away. Like that youth group kid and my co-leader, you will risk your faith being dashed on the rocks as you listen to the voices around you. Unless you hold the gospel close to your heart, you will let it go. The voice of Jesus offers something better than the voices of this world, even better than the voices of the angels. So let me pray that this year we would listen to his voice. Would you pray with me? Jesus, make us people who listen to your voice, who hold fast to your gospel. Fill our ears, our minds, our hearts, our lives with the gospel this year. We pray that we would hold fast, that we would endure and thrive. We pray that you would fill us more and more with the voice of Jesus, drowning out all others. We pray it in his name and for his glory. Amen.